0: Hello, my friends. This is Mickey Desai, one of your hosts for the thing about cars. Today on the phone, we've got Ben. Ben, are you there? I am here. Excellent. And today we're going to interview Zach Miller. Zach is the publisher of Motorbooks. Uh, specifically, used to be, is still motor Groups, isn't it? Mo- Motorbooks, isn't that right, Zach?
1: It's Motorbooks. Yeah, I think yeah. that in the in the very beginning, it was uh, it was called Classic Motorbooks.
0: Classic Motorbooks, and Motorbooks was recently acquired. Uh, in 2007, by the Quarto group, so people can find you that way, right?
1: Yeah, there's. A, if you go, there's a website called Quarto Knows, and if you went there and then looked for Quarto Drives, that's where you'd find all the transportation books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, you
0: you're you're the publisher for all these really cool books that that we've been reviewing on on our show for a little bit here. How did you get into the business, first of all?
1: Um. <laughs> Kind of a circuitous path, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, I actually started uh, uh, my career in the, on the technical side. I worked for 3M, but then I uh, I was uh, finishing up with a journalism degree while I was doing that. And Motorbooks uh, was founded in 1965 mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is which is where I am. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a, an acquisitions editor, and I applied for it, and I didn't get the job. But they um, hired me to write a book, and so I, I wrote a book for them, and by the time I finished that, they needed another acquisitions editor, and that time I, I got invited in.
0: Very cool. What was that first book?
1: Uh, I, they used to have a series called The Illustrated Buyer's Guide, so they'd have Illustrated Buyer's Guide to Ferrari, Illustrated Buyer's Guide to Corvette, et cetera. So I did an Illustrated Buyer's Guide for Vincent Motorcycles.
2: <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> ben, yeah. what, ben, Ben, what do you know about Vincent motorcycles?
2: <laughs> oh well, they're pretty amazing. They were the the fastest bikes produced at the time. They're very legendary. How uh, Richard Thompson even wrote a song about them. So, right. uh, yeah, very charismatic, fast British machines.
1: <laughs> are you uh, are you a motorcycle guy, Ben? I am. Yes. Yeah, Ben, I I, uh, I love cars, but I really love motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm into both, you know. I had it was cars first for me, but I love them both quite a bit now.
0: We've actually done a, a short series of of episodes called "The Thing About Motorcycles," you know, done under the okay. "Thing About Cars" labels. But uh, uh, you know, we we've I think that's something we should do yearly at least. Uh, I would just, encourage that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Ben, you want you want to take the next question? Well, I was just kind of looking at all the titles online, and my God, the variety is is just uh, amazing. I think there's something here for everybody. How do you guys do so many different books?
1: <laughs> well, well, part of the secret is we don't. <laughs> um right. I mean, Motorbooks uh you know Motorbooks is an you know has a you know established uh, a program but when you look at our website we're also um, a distributor for other publishers in uh, uh, North right. America. So, you know, there's uh there's the Motorbooks, there's the current titles, there's our backlist and our backlist is quite deep. We have some titles that have been in continuous print since the 1990s, and and a lot of the other titles that are on that list are from our our partner publishers. So there's, you know, publishers that we work with from a, a, a few from the UK. There's a, a couple from Italy, um, some from Germany. So we have a the having the distribution for those other publishers allows us to increase the breadth of our offering, um, and and that's why we're able to really supply something to scratch just about any uh automotive itch oh
2: yeah i'm just looking at the first page here and i'm seeing uh everything from john deere to building lego cars on this one page alone and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i don't even know how many pages there are
1: <laughs> yeah well and that's the thing too with with, with books is you know we take our we take our transportation remit pretty broadly mm-hmm. so right. it's 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 not just cars and motorcycles but it's kind of uh, we like to say anything that has wings, wheels, or floats is That's of interest brilliant. to us. Yeah.
0: Why that niche, do you suppose? Or is that just simply the way it unfolded?
1: Well, I think it, it's kind of um, historically the way it unfolded. I, I mean, the Motorbooks was started um, by a man named Tom Warth in 1965. Mm-hmm. He, was a, he was a British expat, had come to the U.S. I think he was working actually as an insurance salesman initially, but he was a total gearhead and what he found was that in the u.s as opposed to his uh, native england was that there wasn't as much transportation books and magazines as there was in the uk i see and so on the kind of on the side he started a mail order business you know importing books from uh, england and and selling them through a small mail order catalog and then the business just kind of grew from there so for a long time they were a uh, you know they were basically a distributor and wholesaler of books that's how the business started they had a catalog that you know at its apex probably was mailing out i don't know i think they were probably mailing out close to a million catalogs wow and this would have been you know probably through the eh, probably through the you know early 90s they started doing um, their own publishing because before they weren't doing any of their own. They were just, you know, procuring and, and retailing essentially and, and also distributing to bookstores and things like that. But then probably probably like in the late 70s, they started to do just a little publishing of their own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, in the mid-80s, they hired a, a, a fellow named Tim Parker from England. And Tim had been... Um, He'd started his uh, book publishing career at Haynes, which I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and from Haynes, he went to um, a a company called Osprey, which did uh, some amount of transportation publishing, but also quite a bit of military publishing. And then he got poached by Motorbooks and brought stateside. And he was the publisher, actually, when when I started working at Motorbooks. And so it grew. Their publishing really exploded underneath underneath him and mm-hmm. and like most publishers the I guess the volume of our publishing is kind of expanded and contracted over time sort of with the publishing industry as a whole so yeah so I mean it, it started out as transportation because that's the niche that Tom Worth saw and that he was interested on a personal basis and fulfilling and as it turns out and is not a secret to you guys is there's you know there's a lot of gearheads and a lot of enthusiasts out there and in terms of providing them focused books and them being able to find you to procure those books it's a pretty sensible niche I think if you're in this world it makes sense and if you're not in this world it leaves you scratching your head a little bit
0: (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I live in a world where the internet has sort of removed the need for print almost entirely, you know, and, wow. and well, I mean, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But you know, yeah. the books, the books that you guys publish are, we're talking about a, a different level of research and a different level of production values. And they're, uh, they're very slick, and they're, they're beautiful. So I can't, I can see why the internet has not negative or has the internet affected the way that you guys do business.
1: Well, yeah, I think it has. I mean, it's, it's affected every publisher. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of decimated the magazine industry, unfortunately. Right. And it's, it's definitely impacted book publishers as well. I think that maybe, maybe a little lesser for um, an illustrated publisher like we are, because as you say, there's, there's a lot more to the I mean the the visual aspect of the books is as important as the words, so yeah I mean it has it has affected um a book publishing, I mean both positively and negatively, right mm-hmm. just like it's affected most any other art form so I think that it's um it's sort of we've sort of refocused our publishing in terms of what we publish and the kinds of books we publish, you know, for example, uh, we still publish how to books and practical books, but not not to the degree that we once would have and i and I think that you know a lot of that. Practical how-to information has migrated online, kind of brilliantly, on just even on an enthusiast basis. So, you know, if I want to put a alternator in my GTI, I mean, I can I can find any number of videos or or words to tell me how to do that online. I I almost I almost don't need a a, a traditional manual anymore. So you know, it's definitely had an an impact on on that kind of publishing, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you know, our focus is a little more toward the uh, toward the I guess toward the you know the coffee table book, historical book, and the mm-hmm. more visually oriented. Right.
0: Ben, didn't you have a GTI?
2: I did. I used to. Yeah, I had a 2002, and yeah, that was a fun little
1: car. Yeah, I had a 2001. It's a little bit of a bear to work on sometimes. You know. <laughs> yeah, mine was, I, you know, I, I, I loved mine. Um, I think I, I don't know, I fixed a lot of things on it.
2: <laughs> which, which engine did you have?
1: This is the 1.8, the 1.8 turbo.
2: Yeah, that's what I had too. Uh, you know, I, I did the uh, cam belt and water pump service myself a few times, and that's something I never want to do again.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's pretty bold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ben does not shy away from these things. He's actually rebuilding a, a a Lotus two plus two as we speak.
1: Oh wow! Okay, no, that's you know yeah. what I think that that's, it, but but Ben, isn't it different whether when you're working on something that you don't have to rely on every day?
2: <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Well, that that's that's a little hilarious too because I used to have a a, a turbo Esprit, and there were some times when that car got me to the office in the morning when the GTI just couldn't be bothered to not be broken.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I was on a, was a very close relationship with my Volkswagen mechanic by the time the GTI, um, departed my garage. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Is this,
0: is this the, uh, is this the, the, the GTI that you sold to Steve?
1: It is. Yeah. I had <laughs> fixed everything by the time Steve bought it. I think he had, uh, he had very little, very little trouble with the car by the time I was done with it.
0: <laughs> Two guys, yeah. nice.
1: Excellent. You know, it's it's that thing, it's like, uh, you love the car and you have to dump all this money into it because you're having issues with it. And, uh, and, and you, and you, you come to this point where you do that last repair and, and you just, you can't take it anymore. <laughs> so when you really should keep the car because yeah. you fixed everything, you get rid of it because you hate it so much. <laughs> right.
2: Oh yeah.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so it, was, it was a brilliant acquisition for Steve.
0: <laughs> We've had that discussion <laughs> online ourselves actually, because people ask, how do I know when I should get rid of my car?
1: you'll just uh, feel it yeah in your wallet
0: I, <laughs> well that's the thing it's that's, like you can you can pour money into it and pour and continue to pour money into any kind of car to keep it on the road but i think the answer that we finally agreed upon was it's time to get rid of the car when you no longer love the car
2: right yeah well, you know, if you if you go on YouTube if you need a few minutes of musical interlude, uh find a song by the Bottle Rockets called Thousand Dollar Car. And that tells the story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll have to look them up Ben. Um so you you're also into Ducati's, if I get it right.
1: Yeah, I, I like I like Italian motorcycles broadly. Uh-huh. Um, you know. Oh yeah. And uh yeah, and I do have a, a particular uh, weakness for ducatis yeah so what's in your garage right now well i don't have much in my garage that actually functions um <laughs> <laughs> but i have some i have a i have a couple interesting projects <laughs> uh uh-huh. so i I've, I've got a, a a 1970 mark 3d single ducati uh um, yeah. so that's the 350 single with the desmo head and uh, that's that's one i'm putting together right now that's my current project bike Mm-hmm. and and then i have a um, I have a seventy four seven fifty g t uh twin uh um, wow and then i have a i have an eighty one uh, panta five hundred
2: yeah that, uh,
1: that just um to my horror uh spit out its uh the uh the retainer on the on the uh on the on one of the crankshaft main bearing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whoops. Oh, Yeah. So that's
1: uh so that one's off the road now as well.
0: <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures. I'm, I, I confess I'm not the, uh, I'm not the motorcycle enthusiast that you two are, but uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. So it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, it's, it's my, it's my, my own little uh, Ducati museum. So it's the, I guess it's the, it's the first, the first Desmo production they had was the single and the mm-hmm. first twin they had was the GT and the first belt drive twin was the Panta. So, right. I've, I can stop now. I don't. anymore. <laughs> well, let's go back to
0: cars in for a minute. What are you, what are you driving today? And do you have a project car in there?
1: Um, You know, I just, I have a, I have an Audi all road is my, is my daily driver. Yeah. Um, i love i love german cars um and uh I, i'm sort of uh I, i've sort of lived in the volkswagen audi family for a long time um, and then i i have a i have a non functioning uh, uh 49 uh, crosley hotshot that i inherited from my dad wow that's cool yeah that's a it's a weirdo little car but it's it's pretty interesting car
2: yeah, those are those are for for the listeners who are unfamiliar. Crossley was a uh probably the first American subcompact built in the 1940s in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and they are interesting little cars.
1: Yeah, it's um it was the first uh first production car to have four-wheel disc brakes in 1949, the Hot Shot.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and it had and and I think one of the reasons I like it is it's a it's a, it's a small four-cylinder engine with a bevel-driven overhead camshaft.
0: <laughs>
1: right. So it's like a, it's sort of an American Ducati. <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember my
2: dad telling me that their engines were a bit problematic due to some pressed steel components that probably should have been cast or something like that. It was a long time ago. but Yeah,
1: I that was their first. Their first engine was a, what they called a COBRA engine, and that was an acronym right. for copper-brazed. So they, uh, uh, they kind of laid up sheets and then s- – essentially, you know, soldered the whole mess together and, and then made it, that was their, um, that was their crankcase. And it it didn't, it didn't work very well. And so they, they subsequently went to a, you know, conventional, you know, iron crankcase. Yeah. And that's what mine has. Yeah.
2: If, if you ever pass through the, uh, Cincinnati airport, which is actually in Kentucky, they have a pair of beautiful Crossleys on display down by baggage claim. Oh, really? Uh, there's also one on a stick outside a gas station near the airport in New Orleans.
1: <laughs> ben,
0: how do you know these things?
2: Just from my travels. <laughs> <laughs> I see these things as I, as I travel around
0: or more, uh, more importantly, I should ask, how do you remember these things?
1: <laughs> well, of a car nut. <laughs> right.
0: yeah. Well said.
1: So that's the, yeah, I guess in, in the automotive arena, I, I, uh, you know, I, I really, like I, I guess I expend a little more energy on the motorcycle side. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Understood. What advice would you have for podcasters like us? You know, we're small, we're trying to grow, we're trying to, to do different things. And, and, you know, in my wildest dreams, we would, uh, uh, try to parlay the thing about cars into some kind of video or television presence. Um, but you know, we, we're all otherwise occupied with jobs and stuff like that. How, how would, how would a group like us make that jump?
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, I I I guess I wouldn't have any super sage advice because I don't I don't live in the podcast world too much. You know, I mean, I listen to them and and I enjoy them, but um, you know, I think the I mean, I think you're 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 certainly halfway there just because you're genuine enthusiasts, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's the key to I think succeeding in anything is to have a you know a genuine and authentic interest in it, and and not you know it's something that you're you know pursuing because you have an innate passion for it, not because uh, you think you'll make a buck or something. Right. Um, and uh, I think the other thing is too, what I, I guess what's, what interests me with the automotive world, and this has sort of, I guess, changed for me over the time that I've worked at Motorbooks, is that, you know, I think you start out with, a, or at least I did start out with a, a fixation and a fascination on the equipment, you know, the, the objects of your of your fetish, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, but, but over time, uh, you know, I, you, you never learn everything, but you learn a lot. And I think over, t- at least for me over time, I, I became from a historical perspective, particularly, I guess I became more interested in sort of why the thing is, as it is, why the object is, as it is, and, and what the culture is that surrounds the object. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, w- what I find really appealing about the, well, the transportation world broadly, but cars and motorcycles in particular, is that is just all of the different subcultures that surround it, and the, and the and that feed from it and grow out of it, and and you know so I mean ultimately it it rolls back around to um, to people and their ideas and how they execute those ideas, and how they force them into being, you know, sort of oftentimes against odds. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the really interesting stories are. There's a show I listen to on NPR that I like a lot called How I Built This. Are you guys familiar with that?
2: Yeah, I think I've heard I, it once or twice. Yeah, Yeah,
1: you know, and it's its kind of like they'll talk to an, typically an entrepreneur, and it might be someone who started a company that makes something very everyday and sort of borderline mundane, or it might be someone that makes something really unusual and exotic, but it's really, it's really, you know, that person sharing their creation story. And I think those kind of stories are fascinating because um, especially if they're, if they're making an object, um, but even if they're offering a service um, you know, I think that creation story and how the object is the, you know, the reflection and the culmination of that is, is really interesting. And I, I, I think that lots of times, you know, that gives you a deeper understanding of why something is as it is, whether it's a, a hamburger that you're buying or a, you know, Ferrari that you're driving. And, 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 I think, you know, maybe, maybe looking for those opportunities and focusing on those kinds of stories, because it, it gives you a, a really compelling focus to whatever you're talking about. Right. There you go. That's my soapbox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good soapbox. Mm-hmm. Ben, you got anything else?
2: Uh, not right off the top of my head. I'm just kind of browsing the titles right now while I was listening to you guys, and just kind of going, "Ooh, ah, right,
0: <laughs> right." And Zach will definitely be turning folks towards slash motorbooks where they can find a couple links leading to your books catalog and your blogs, which uh, I'm 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 going to enjoy reading that this evening. Um, i think
1: I think too you know i, I think um, really and, and to the and the books are sold they 're sold everywhere that we sure. can 't sell them and you know and anything that's that 's on our site is you know is on amazon it's it 's probably on dnn.com. dot com and and there 's a number of it really and if, if you still and I would encourage anyone to continue going to bookstores because we need them, and, um, yeah. and they need you. Yeah. And uh, there's some great. There's a uh, Pistiner's Auto Zone in Detroit is a great independent transportation bookstore. There's Auto Books, Aero <laughs> Books in Burbank, and there's others um, around the country. And you know, and you'll find transportation books, the odd transportation book, in you know, in just about any independent bookstore. And I think that, you know, continuing to go to bookstores, whether it's Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or your local independent, is Something that everyone should do because uh, yes, we don't, want, we don't want them to go away.
0: Agreed, 100% agreed. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so what about you guys? You know, I mean, I I, I confessed my my automotive afflictions and uh, what I had <laughs> in my garage. What do you What do you have in your garage,
0: Ben? You go first.
2: Uh, okay. Well, let's see. My daily driver is a uh, 2013 Mazda three kind of an appliance but i like it of course i have the lotus it's a 1970 plus two which is the sort of bigger hard top uh, sort of touring variant of the elan yeah and then i've also got a uh, my motorbike is a 2012 bmw r 1200
1: gs nice i have an f800 uh, gs
2: yeah, I've been a BMW guy since I started riding. It's all I've owned, believe it or not. My first bike was a K100RT, if you can believe that. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been active in the club. And then uh, my wife's car is a uh, 2018 Challenger.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Does she let you drive it? Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, that's good.
2: <laughs> it's, it's not the V8. It's just the V6, but we it's still a lot of fun.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. Probably better
0: balanced yeah. than the V8. I don't know. I I, I look at it and it's and it's pretty, but and, and I and I desperately want one at some point. But uh, there's a part of me that's like I want to drive the V8. <laughs> 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 but uh, but yeah, the V the the six I think is is much better suited for the purpose. I think that's I think I think Zach is right.
2: It, well, it depends on what your purpose is. If, it, right. if it's a, a daily driver, the six probably is better, but you know, there's a lot of V8s out there, a lot of enthusiasts and they yeah. love to just go screaming with them. You know? Exactly. Exactly.
0: So in my garage, I've only got two things, one of which I'm about to get rid of. I had an old Mazda six, which has been thoroughly beaten up by <laughs> no, no fault of mine. I, um, um, my, my wife says I should put a kick me sign on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in the last 18 months the car is involved in three different accidents Oh, geez. But, it, but it still runs it still runs really really well it's a 2005 Mazda 6 and but I'm I'm about to liquidate it because I bought my sister's 2005 Honda Accord which as Ben says is a total appliance and <laughs> uh, uh and if I if I ever find my next income because I am between jobs at the moment so if I ever find any money again then um then we'll go car shopping, but until then, I will be driving the Honda.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. well, and and, and and I think uh, and Ben, your Lotus may be the maybe the same situation, but um, you know, uh, any of the any of the bikes I have are a function of uh, decades of um, reeling them in, and uh, I certainly. Oh
2: yeah. You know, I,
1: I wish I had the income to uh, buy collector vehicles in the current market. But, yeah, um, I have, too. I have collector vehicles only because I acquired them a long time ago.
2: <laughs> right, right. Well, the nice thing about this, Lois, is, you know, if you were to go for the regular Elon, the little small two seat open top one, you'd be looking at multiple times what this plus two costs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's weird. It's a really rare car. It's got the same stuff under the skin, but, uh, it goes for a whole lot less money. And I got a real bargain on it. I got it from a personal friend who needed money and wanted to keep it in the family uh but you know yeah there's those decades i mean this car is 50 years old as of right now there are decades worth of previous owner bodges that i have to fix in it things like that you know
1: yeah i think those are i think those are kind of underrated i really i, I like the look of those cars a lot and um yeah yeah they're just you know it, I, that's the nature of the I think of the collector world is that, you know, I mean you only have to look at, you know, 911 price escalation over the last 5 years and you right. know once some segment of the hobby decides that you know deems something the it vehicle then, you know, there goes the opportunity for the rest of us.
2: And <laughs> yeah, but yeah, my dad used to be into uh back when he was around, my dad was into sunbeams and it was hilarious because the sunbeam was Probably ten times rarer than the MG, but the MG sold for several times what the Sunbeam did.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's, <laughs> that's what people wanted. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a herd mentality on some of that stuff, right. for sure. And, yeah. and a, you know, but a lot of those cars are brilliant, and you know, sure. deserve their valuations. Right. Well,
2: there are guys in the Lotus forums who who you know, are regularly saying, "I sold my Porsche because you know, after driving the Lotus, I'm just not interested in the Porsche anymore." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, Zach, we're, we're running out of time. Okay. I, and I gotta thank you for taking the time to sit and talk with us today. Sure. And, and I hope we can do this again sometime in the future.
1: Yeah. Good. Well, I, I appreciate you guys uh, supporting Motorbooks, and you know we'll uh, we'll keep working on making books that hopefully are of interest to enthusiasts. And uh, appreciate your paying some attention to us and uh, and uh, keeping an eye on the books.
0: Yes, sir. We'll oh, do yeah. that. And then, thanks for doing such excellent work. And to our friends, as always, you can find us on the internet at thethingaboutcars.com. And if you want to check out the Cordo catalog, uh, as we've said, go to quartonos.com/slash/motorbooks, uh, and you'll find links there for to both the catalog and the blogs. And, uh, and as Zach has said, maybe you'll find us in the Barnes and Noble somewhere, um,
1: <laughs> and or Amazon, you, or any other fine bookstore. Right. <laughs> any other fine bookstore, exactly. <laughs> thanks again, Zach. All right. Thank you all.
2: Thank you for listening. This has been The Thing About cars. We'll see you on the road.